This week's reading comes from Psalms 88. And it says, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Sheila. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in, so I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you, Sheila? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But, O oh Lord, I cry out to you. In the mornings, my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become my darkness. So uh, when Pastor Susung told me he wanted me to preach on suffering, um, it actually made me think of a conversation I had with my wife a while back. Uh, my wife, who's a podiatrist, was telling me about um, American medicine and American medicine's approach to pain. She was saying that in America, uh, we tend to overprescribe on painkillers because there is a pressure on doctors uh, to relieve a patient's pain. That there's kind of like this underlying assumption here that pain and suffering are to be eradicated. Uh, versus in other countries, there's an assumption that you'll actually always be in some amount of pain. That if you go through surgery or if you're suffering from some form of illness, it's not about eradicating the pain as it is more about pain management, right? Versus, you know, avoiding it entirely. And, I, and, and, and I'm using this example uh, to bring up the point that for many Christians in America, um, that kind of mentality has seeped into our ideas about suffering and hardships. Um, that either God should keep us from suffering at all in this life, um, or we are to avoid it like the plague. Now, you know, we can talk about why that's so, and it probably has to do with, you know, just, you know, we live in a very wealthy society with a lot of creature comforts. Right, and it's very easy to just think that you know suffering may pertain to those people over there or that person over there, but not to me. Um, and you know, I say this also, you know, as Christians, we 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 deal with this because think about some of our modern worship songs. Uh, one of my gripes, and James, no, I, I love the worship songs that we sing. Okay, um, but one of my gripes is that there are very few songs of lament. We have very few songs that give voice, voice to the sufferings that we face in this life. Um, if anything, you know, and, and this is kind of another thing that always kind of like bugs me. is like you have these songs that may give you like a cursory nod to the topic, you know, that we're dealing with about suffering. 
Um, but then, you know, oftentimes it'll like talk a little bit and then it'll go straight into the chorus. And you guys know what it does. Like there's like this buildup in the chorus. And then there's this like crescendo of God's triumph over defeat, you know, of, of defeating sin and death. And then, you know, in, in, within the song and the melody, it's, it's supposed to elicit like this euphoria, joy, and ecstasy of being God's presence and his grace. All right. Now, those aren't bad things. I think there is definitely a time and place for that. But sometimes I wonder if we're too quick to move on. And in doing so, what we're doing is we're avoiding the pains um, that happen in life. And the thing is, the Bible actually has plenty to say on this reality, on how we can face suffering. So in our Bible passage today that John so eloquently read and kind of had that like, I love the way he read it too, right? It was very somber. Um, Psalm 88, on the face of it, is one of the most unnerving psalms in the Bible. Um, The Bible has plenty to say about suffering. Should if you spend any amount of time reading the psalms, um, you'll notice that there is a whole genre of psalms called lament, right? Psalms that cry out, you know, about the darkness. And in, another, like, subgenre would be imprecatory psalms. Now, you might be, okay, what, that, what does that word mean, imprecatory psalms? Imprecatory psalms are basically psalms in which, you know, the psalmist cries out, like, curses upon those who are, you know, afflicting them um, of pain and suffering. So you'll hear, like, sometimes David, he'll be, he'll say, and, you know, I can't wait for the day that, you know, you take the jaw of a horse and you just smack my enemies, Lord. Right, And so there are psalms like that that speak into the experience of pain and suffering. And in many of the psalms of lament, it'll actually start off with talking about some type of grief or horrible circumstance that the psalmist is in. And towards the end, and this is usually the pattern or the structure, it usually ends with a hopeful note. Uh, Usually something to the effect of, you know, praising God's character um, his holiness, um, his, uh, his redeeming value, or promise, or there's a promise, or, you know, it's remembering a promise that God is going to be their salvation. But Psalm 88 is unnerving because of its darkness. Um, if you read to the very end of Psalm 88, there is no hopeful ending at all. The last verse in verse 18, ends with this. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. It just remi- that, that line just reminds me of a Simon and Garfunkel song where it starts with, uh, hello, darkness, my old friend. Right? I don't know if you guys have you know, heard that, right? It just, it's very bleak. In other words, uh, the, the writer of the psalm is uh, named Heman, and he says, basically, my friends have abandoned me, and the only friends I have is darkness, God. And it just ends right there, just abruptly. There is no light at the end of this tunnel. And what makes it even more unnerving is the inner turmoil that Heman feels. And reading the psalms, this is what we know about actually Heman. He, it was... Um, Heman belonged to 
the sons of Korah. So when you read like the first verse, right, it says a mascal of Ethan, or sorry, a song, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master according to the Maleth, Leonoth, a mascal of Heman the Ezraite. We know that the sons of Korah were temple musicians during the time of King David. So they were in charge of writing psalms used for temple worship. So basically think of it like a praise leader. Okay, this is who Heman was. Heman is our version of James, okay, uh, so to speak. And so what Heman shares with us is that he suffers some kind of darkness. He talks about feeling like he is someone who's near death's door, cut off from everyone. And he even says, he says, and I, and I feel like I'm just always being forgotten. Who will remember me? I'm just someone who's going to be forgotten. He says that his very friends have abandoned and rejected him, that they look upon him with horror. Okay, can you imagine that? You know, your friends just seeing you like you are the worst and most despicable human being on the face of this planet. And in verse 15, here's what he says. He notes that he's been afflicted like this since he was young. And it has never stopped. And throughout the psalm, he peppers in the fact that he just feels like a tortured soul who's always getting the short end of the stick like he's just cursed. We don't know exactly what he's suffering from, but we know he's suffering from due to external circumstances, you know, his friends abandoning him, but also he's suffering internally um, because he talks about And throughout the psalm, he talks about how distant he is from the Lord. In fact, he feels that God is the one casting him him aside and hiding from him. In every way imaginable, we can say that Heman is a complete mess. Whatever Heman is suffering from, it's causing him tremendous amounts of anguish and turmoil. And it's unnerving and how unrelenting it is. From what we can make out, it's an unending bout of suffering and pain that's gone on for a very long time. And it's unnerving because here you have a man, all right, just imagine this. Here is a man who is employed into God's service as a temple musician. He's you know, and I think it will be safe to say that he's a strong and faithful believer who has suffered long term. And I'm saying that it's unnerving because it makes us face the reality that even Christians, people like Heman, can go through long seasons of suffering without relief. And it may feel isolating, bewildering, and even nonsensical. That's a sobering reality, you know, for us as Christians. That God does not shield us from difficult times. And even the fact that maybe you might go through a very long season of it. That's what Heman is going through. And some of us understand this because maybe you felt like Heman. You've gone through some long, difficult times. You know, even some of the most well-known Christians have suffered much. Um, 
I think many of us are old enough to know Mother Teresa, right? The great uh, modern Catholic saint, you know, who, who went into, you know, the slums in Calcutta, India to serve the poor, right? And, you know, people always talked about her, how she was such a loving and caring person that she exhibited, you know, joy, right? But if you know, um, if you've ever read her letters or um, heard other people talk about her, um, she actually dealt with tremendous amount of internal suffering throughout her life. In one of her letters that she wrote to her spiritual director in 1957, this this is what she wrote. In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The child of your love and now become as the one, as the most hated one. The one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, there is no one to answer. Where I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Love, the word, it brings nothing. I am told God lives in me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Can you imagine if someone wrote that to you? Man, I I wouldn't even know how to respond. So it's not a question of avoiding suffering, even for us as Christians. Because we all, at one time or another, will have to face it. Uh, St. John of the Cross would call it the dark night of the soul. Then how does a Christian, how do we deal with suffering? Well, when we look at Heman and how Heman deals with everything he's been suffering, on on the surface, you know, I think it's safe to say that he doesn't deal with it well at all. Actually, if Heman were here today, and, you know, we have our, congreg- you know, Sonny gave us our congregational prayer, wonderful job. Can you imagine if Heman was here and he gave us our congregational prayer today? And we heard him pray these very words. God, where are you? Why do you throw my life away? Why do you hate me so much? Can you imagine if, 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 if one of our members prayed that prayer here as the congregational prayer? Most of us would probably start blushing with embarrassment. Some of us might even start squirming uncomfortably in our seats. Why? Because we'd be very uncomfortable at the fact that he blames God for his predicament and that he's questioning God. I mean, look at these words. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and closed to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. It's like God is the one that is terrorizing me. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults, why do you beat me up in in such a way? You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. You have caused my companions, my friends, to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Do you feel the anger, the emotions? I mean, it's very dramatic so to speak, right? It's all there. You know what it sounds like sometimes? It sounds like an angry teenager with an unusually good grammar just (laughs) popping off at, at their parents or something. 
And it just sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? Right? To go at God with such fury and emotion. I think for a lot of us, if Heman were here right now, we might even judge him for being so ungodly. And I think a certain segment of us would probably even say that he's not being very Christ-like in his suffering, that he shouldn't act this way, that it's very unbecoming of a Christian to be angry or to even question God, that instead, you know, some of us might be even thinking, humans should just suck it up, okay? Have a stiff upper lip to wall ourselves off from any feelings of grief because, you know, we're Christians. We're supposed to be full of joy, right? We live on this side of the resurrection now. We celebrated resurrection Easter last week. So we should be joyful. We should be thankful for everything that we have. We should be able to... We're supposed to handle suffering well because Jesus suffered on the cross for us. And if you ask the younger version of me, I probably would have agreed with that sentiment. That in order to suffer well, that it meant you couldn't be emotional about it. Because if you show emotion, then you're just showing your weakness and you're not trusting God. That you have to just remember, hey, hey, Heman, remember, God has a purpose for your suffering. Which he does, I know. But oftentimes we say these things because, and, and we, I mean, oftentimes we say these things, and when, or when we say these things, we give up our license to process and grieve what pains us. And for those of us, you know, who believe that the Christian way to suffering is some stoic silence, you know, where we always have to put, put on a brave face, then this psalm should wake us up to that false sensibility. Look, I know some of us are not naturally inclined to outward bursts of emotions. Some of us are much more reserved, and that's fine. So I'm not saying like, okay, now, you know, go and do something that you're uncomfortable with. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not asking you to become human. But... What, I'm, what I am saying is, when you cannot even express the grief from our sufferings in the quiet, when you think it's wrong to express grief even towards God, when we think that just putting on a brave face is how God wants us to deal with suffering, I think oftentimes, and I'm like this actually, if I'm being honest with myself, we are not being godly. We're merely avoiding our sufferings and basically trying to wish it away. But I do not think that is what God desires. Although this psalm is uncomfortable and makes us uncomfortable, um, I actually thank God that this psalm is in the Bible. Why? Because there is a silver lining of grace in this psalm. In, in the midst of all its darkness, there is actually grace in here. And it's this. Heman wrote this, and it got included in the book of Psalms, meaning it was meant for us to pray this psalm. 
And in fact, it was meant for God's people to even sing or recite this in the context of a worship. Can you imagine a modern praise song adaptation of this? You know, uh, we just sang, um, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. That's, that's from a psalm, that's from, right? And can you imagine a, a modern adaptation of this being sung on a Sunday? Can you imagine a newcomer coming into these doors and the congregation singing this psalm together? They might just like start like running out of the building like, oh, okay, this is like too intense. Like you guys are crazy, right? But if it's included in the Bible, this actually tells us something about God and his heart. That he is not offended if we lash out to him in our suffering. In fact, it proves that he understands us. That he understands the human condition. The desperation one feels when we go through difficult seasons in life. In fact, we can cry out to him. We can question him in our grief. I believe God wants us to do so. Because when we do that, we are encountering a personal God and not some impersonal God, a silent tyrant who only wants our absolute obedience and devotion. Some of us see God that way. When we can give ourselves the room to pray like Heman does, it indicates that we are in a safe relationship with God. Um, So, like I said, I'm more the one when something bad happens or whatever, I'm kind of just like, oh, okay, Lord. Um, I try to rationalize it away and like, okay, well, I'm sure you're going to help me through this. But honestly, you know, I'll I'll tell you that it's a soul-sucking prayer. It it oftentimes just kind of would harden my heart. Um, And I, I, I only really, and, and, and it made me realize that I couldn't function as a child of God. Because a child can go to their parent and rant and rave, say mean things to them. Why? Because they know they're safe. That their father or their mother will not take away their love from them. I really realized this um, because of my wife, Nancy. Um, and I still astonishes me to this day when she prays. Um, there was a season in our life uh, where we were trying to have children, and it was just very difficult. Um, just it was very hard to get pregnant. And there would be nights when uh, my wife would kind of wake up in the middle of the night, and she would just start crying, right? And, this, and you know what she would say? She would say, why does God do this to me? If God loved me, why doesn't he give me a child? You know, I, I, I'm like bleary-eyed because this is like 2 a.m. in the morning and I just, all I could do is just go like this, right? But, you know, when, when I think about it, I think about, wow, though she is questioning God, ironically, or I mean, yeah, it, it, she has more faith than I do. She has more faith than I do. 
because she's saying that as a child of God. All right. So, cry out to him. Right? But we know that in our sufferings, it's, sometimes it's hard to cry out to him because in our sufferings, it feels like that is when God is the most silent. That in seasons of suffering is when it feels like God has abandoned us and we question whether he is there for us. And he even says as much. But I want us to know that when we deal with the isolation of suffering, that in the deafening silence, to know that you are actually never abandoned. Because in the same way that Heman says at the very end, right, my, com- my companions have become darkness, where he's enveloped in darkness and he feels like he's just been forsaken by God. It was actually, it was actually reminds me and it reminds us that it was Jesus who went to the cross and suffered all of God's judgment and wrath for our sins. And it was he who was the one who cried out to God in Matthew 27. You know, and this is like one of the times in, in, um, where you see Matthew write out Jesus speaking in Aramaic, right? The language of the time. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Or in other words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine that? How terrible that must have been. Jesus, who is God and is the Son of God, is the triune God, who before the creation of the universe had this perfect relation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But on the cross, his Father had to turn his back on him. And literally, like, really had to turn his back on him, had to forsake him. I can't imagine what, I, can't, I, I really can't imagine what that would be like for someone who's had, who had the perfect loving relationship to all of a sudden to be cut off from that, that he is just anathema. And what does that show us? That Jesus knows that the depths of despair you have gone through because he has gone through them himself. Actually, he was abandoned and forsaken so that we wouldn't be. Even when it seems that God is against us, he isn't because Jesus was forsaken on our behalf. And because of that, we can know and trust that Jesus is always in the midst of our suffering and is even weeping with us. You know, Hebrews 4 talks about that, right? That Jesus is our great high priest, one who can sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, right? Because he went through it. Lastly, um, Psalm 88 shows us that our suffering is often, it feels like we suffer in vain, right? I think in life, that's one of the hard things to deal with suffering is that we feel like everything is in vain, right? What feels just pointless, right? But Psalm 88 shows us that our suffering is not in vain. 
that our suffering can have some purpose. Sometimes we may not know what that is right now. Right? We may not even know later. But if we can trust that God who gave up his son for us, to suffer for us, is in control, then we can trust that he can redeem and use the darkness that besets us. And I just wanted us to think about Heman again. I don't think in the midst of his suffering and writing this psalm that he ever thought that he could provide solace to others. Okay. But if you think about it, he absolutely has. Because Christians across generations have been able to use this psalm to cry out to God, to navigate the bitterness of life. And I'll be honest, it has been a balm for my own soul. Um, again, if you asked me years ago, I would have looked at this psalm and I would have just been like, what do I do with this? This just seems like a guy who, who hates God. Um, I'm just going to just skip this passage. Let's go to some of the other Psalms. Um, a couple years ago, um, and, and you know, many, many of you guys know that uh, when this church planted to become revived, it came out of a lot of pain um, out of a church split. And um, I was in the midst of that. Um, I just remember that there were rumors about me that, you know, my dad was an elder at the time in, in the church, and he ended up leaving, and there were rumors going around that my dad, you know, was doing everything that he was doing, you know, for my sake, to uphold my position at the church. Um, I just remember, you know, there was all these false accusations that it was my dad who was trying to split every, you know, split the church apart, and that, you know, Susang and Young were doing the same thing and, you know, all these things. And it was a really rough time. It was a really, really rough time. And, um, you know, I, 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 I felt so bitter because this was the church I grew up in. This is the church that gave me my first opportunity to go into ministry. I, and, and, and I had given, like, what, eight years uh, there. And, you know, in, in my 20s, I remember, you know, one time just thinking, like, I gave eight, my 20s to this church, and they're going to treat me like this. And in the beginning, I would just try to put on a brave face, and I would just try to pray, like, Lord, just, I know there's a purpose. I know that there's something, and, you know, you'll, you'll get me through it and, and whatnot. Um, but my heart would just get hardened. And, but then I went, one day, um, I came back to this psalm, and it, and, it, and it finally struck me. Oh, I can be angry with God. Lord, I can let out my pain. I can even question you. And that's, and you will be okay with it. Psalm 88 let me process that grief it gave me the permission to process that grief 
Heman gave me the words to contend with God. Did Heman know that when he was going through it? No. So his suffering isn't in vain then. And oftentimes, what we suffer will not be in vain. If God is our God who is in control, I do believe he can use our sufferings, our pains, our griefs for some purpose, big or small. So whatever struggles you might be going through, know that you can contend with God. He is sympathetic to the desperations that we face. Know that you have psalms like Psalm 88 that give voice to the pain that comes with that suffering. And know that even in the deafening silence that sometimes accompanies our suffering, even when it seems like God has abandoned us, that he is not. That he is near because of Christ on the cross. And in the seeming pointlessness of, and despair of our sufferings, trust that God will vindicate you, will bring about good out of it. In the same way that human suffering was not pointless, it's because of his sufferings we have Psalm 88. And it has been a balm for Christians to deal with their own sufferings throughout the ages. Let's pray. Father, um, I just feel very inadequate to talk about suffering. It's not like I lived a long time and suffered much, but thank you that in your word you have these psalms that are dark but necessary so that we could grieve, so that we can cry out and contend with you, so that we can know that we are your children. And um, I pray that we would not be the type of people who would just wall ourselves off, Lord. But, Lord, we would run to you in the same way that Heman did. And know, Lord, um, just like Heman said in the very first verse, that you are the God of our salvation. Because of that, when we go through seasons of hurt and pain and of struggle, may we fix our eyes upon you and contend with you, knowing that you will redeem us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.